Do you think all premium fuels are the same? Well, your engine doesn't. Shell V Power Nitro Plus helps keep your engine running like new because it's engineered to defend against four main engine threats. Gunk, wear, corrosion, and friction. So next time, choose Shell's most advanced fuel ever. It's fuel for thought. In engines that continuously use Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. And hello, everyone. We are joined by our two lovely hosts, Siva Gengen and Teresa Yates. Siva Gengen is the Chief Executive Officer of LegalWise South Africa. She is a high-performance management professional with over 25 years' experience in the insurance sector. She is an attorney, conveyancer, notary public, and certified director. Teresa Yates is the National Director of ProBono.org. Previously, Teresa was the Deputy National Director of the Legal Resources Center and has not only legal training, but a background in human rights and development on the continent. Thank you, Tilly. Our guest speaker today is Justice Leona Theron of the Constitutional Court. Justice Theron was born in Natal on the east coast of South Africa. In 1989, Justice Theron was awarded a Fulbright Scholarship to study a Master's of Law degree at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. She practiced as an advocate in Durban from the end of 1990. In 1995, she was appointed as a member of the Judge White Commission by the then President Mandela. In 1999, Theron was appointed as a judge of the High Court of South Africa. At the age of 32, she was the youngest judge in the country and the first black female judge to be appointed in her province. She was later appointed to the Supreme Court of Appeal and since 2017 had served as a judge of the Constitutional Court, the highest in the country. Justice Theron is well known for her leading judgments and in particular for her fierce defense of women's rights. Whilst at the Supreme Court of Appeal, she wrote a powerful dissent in State v. Como, which emphasized the need for courts to be mindful of their duty to protect the equality, dignity, and freedom of women. Justice Theron is active in her community and is a founding member of the South African chapter of the International Association of Women Judges. She has received numerous awards for her contribution to the development of justice in South Africa. Over to you, Sarah. 
We are so thrilled to have each and every one of you joining us today. I'm honored to be sharing this space with Teresa Yates from ProBono.org. Today, we extend a very warm welcome to Justice Leona Theron of the Constitutional Court. Justice Theron, we are honored to be spending the next while with you and thank you for giving us your valuable time. So to kick off today's um, chat, um, Judge, would you let us know a little bit about the young Leona Theron? What was she like? Um, the young Leona? I think I'm still a bit young, Silva. <laughs> of course, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I grew up in Wentworth. Um, I lived my young life among brown people. I went to school. There was only brown children in my school. I was born to a poor working class family. Both my parents had not completed high school. Nobody from my parents' uh, families, either, either my mother or my father's families, had ever completed high school. That was not because they were poor at academics. It was economics and the situation that most black people found themselves at the time. Um, Wentworth was predominantly English speaking. At the time, my parents had a vision that I would go to university. And um, the only university that was open to brown people at, was the University of the Western Cape. And my parents knew that if I had to go to that university, I needed to speak Afrikaans. So at the age of five, they enrolled me in the only Afrikaans school in Durban that allowed brown people to go, to attend. And um, my father and my mother, well, I can say this now, I don't think anybody will arrest him. They altered my birth certificate um, to reflect that I, was, that I was six when I was in fact five. And they kept reminding me right through my primary school that that was my age, that that's, that's the year I was born. I was born in 65. I was actually born in 1966. But from a young age, I knew that one day I'd go to university. I didn't know what a university was but I knew that I would go to university. My young life was very difficult because all day in school, I would speak Afrikaans. And I come home, I would only speak English because nobody spoke Afrikaans. And my father was from the Eastern Cape, so his family spoke Afrikaans. So when I was with his family, I would speak Afrikaans. With my mother's family, I would speak English. And Life was very different then. I mean, I would walk miles and miles to this Afrikaans school from the age of five. Um, not, not something we often do in our communities these days. And um, my father made things very, diff very difficult for me. When I finished primary school, he then said, no, for high school, I have to go to English now so that I can be fully bilingual. And I was in this high school class, um, grade, six, grade eight, Everybody around me, now I think son at six, son at seven, yes, grade nine. Everybody around me was speaking English and I felt like a foreigner. And when the principal came around and he said, is everybody, the first day of school, everybody in the right class, I said, no, sir, I'm not in the right class. I need to be in the Afrikaans class. <laughs> so they, they put me in the Afrikaans class. And when I went home, I think I learned from my dad to tell little fibs because they fibbed about my age. I said, no, the principal said, I have to go to an Afrikaans class and they put me in an Afrikaans class. But a year later, we moved from Wentworth to Sydney. Um, we, we, we didn't have our own accommodation up until then. I think I was about 12 or 13. We would stay 
um, yard. Some people might not know what a yard is, but in Cleo would be a big property. We, every family had a room or two and we had no running water. We had no inside toilets. And then my father took um, a job with the municipality as a caretaker of a building. And the primary reason why I took the job was for us to get solid firm accommodation. And for, when I was 13, um, when we were staying in this block of flats in Sydney, for the first time in my life, I had an inside toilet and we had running water. So I think that in a nutshell was, is a little bit about the young Leona. Wow, that's quite a story of the young Leona. Thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us during those days and um, during your early days in university, um, what and who inspired you while you were growing up? What kept you going through the difficult times? Um, Teresa, let me first start with, with my home environment. My parents were very active in church and in church activities. And from a young girl, I remember the church community being central in our lives. I was inspired by my teachers, both in school and in the church. I was surrounded by honest, hardworking people of the soil, people of integrity. Many of the leaders in the church at that time were involved in education and constantly emphasized the importance and value of education. I honestly believe that the, that the foundation of the person of, of I, who I have become today was laid by my teachers by, and by my pastors and by the community in which I grew up. At a very young stage, I was introduced to the writings of Martin Luther King, and I was in particularly inspired by his words, be the best of whatever you are, that in whatever you do, we should be the best we can be. This is what he said, if you are a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, sweep streets like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets so well, that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. I think if you ask me what one motto has been in my life, I would say that is it. Whatever I have done, I have tried to do to the best of my ability, whether it is in my home, whether it is with my children, whether it's in my working environment, whether it's cooking or baking, whatever I like to do, I do to the best of my ability. I was also inspired by music. I love music and I grew up with choral music, but also again through the church. And I started playing the organ in the church from the age of about 12 years old. I sang in the choir, I participated in choral evenings held by the church, and I still love music. When I have a restless soul, I either go listen to music or I go and play my organ or my piano. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Those are, those are very inspirational words I think we can all take with us. Um, can you tell us now that you're justice on the Constitutional Court in South Africa? So obviously a lot of people um, in South Africa look to you for inspiration. Um, and so, but who inspires you now? Um, what do you find, where do you look for inspiration um, today now that you are in the position that you're in? Teresa, I think the list is endless for all of us. Um, I am inspired by strong women and strong men of integrity. I'll start with Winnie Mandela. 
I'm inspired by her courageous, fighting, never give up spirit. Uh, I'm inspired by Grasa Michelle. We consider her partly South African as well. We've adopted her. I'm inspired by her grace, her wisdom, and her elegance. Um, Ella Gandhi, she's a peace activist. I'm inspired by her dedication, her commitment, and that she dedicated her life to the struggle against apartheid. I'm inspired by Helen Sussman, a woman in parliament at a time when it wasn't popular to do, to, to do so, stood up and, and, and spoke out against apartheid. I'm inspired by Navi Pillay, the first woman to open her law practice in KZN. She was a judge and then later judge president of the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. She was the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. So uh, yes, Fatima Mir, I, I was a student. I worked with her as a wild shoes. She's a prolific writer, political activist right to the end. As I said, we are spoiled for choice, for women that inspire us. Closer to home, I am inspired by the women in my circle. I see them overcoming adversities and challenges, raising children, some as single moms. I see them educating and empowering themselves. I see them rising and rising like dust. I see them rising. And they inspire me each and every day. And I must end off by saying, I am inspired by my colleagues at the Constitutional Court. I'm inspired at how important every case is that we adjudicate. I'm inspired by their passion for justice and giving life to the Constitution. It's a privilege for me to be part of a court that facilitates passionate discussion and debate amongst the colleagues. Even when we disagree, it is a collective effort of the court that produces the strongest results in the hope of assisting improving our country. Well, thank you so much for that. Siva, over to we, you. We're all glad to be part of um, the whole that makes the law so important in this country and access to justice so important. But as a South African woman, what are you most proud of in your personal and your professional life? Um, Siva, let me start with my professional life. Um, I'm proud of the fact that as a South African black woman, born in my era, that I could become a trailblazer for women. And I refer particularly to my appointment to the bench at the age of 32. I was the first black woman to be appointed to the bench in KZN and the youngest judge in the country at the time. And that, that is something I'm so, so, so proud of. I am proud of the fact that I come from Wentworth. I'm proud of the fact that I have been able to rise above my circumstances. Wentworth was and is still a poor area. It, stories of crime, alcohol abuse, and domestic violence was common. Well, I shouldn't say stories, incidents. I am proud of the fact that I can be a role model for being able to rise above my circumstances and show people that you can rise above the circumstances that you have been born into and achieve your dream. In my personal life, I think like every mom, I'm extremely proud of my children. I think every, every mother feels that way about their children. Recently and during lockdown became a grandmother. Oh, congratulations, Jack. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm looking forward to entering that new phase in my mm -hmm. life. 
if, if I have to tweak your question slightly, Siva, and say what do I value most in my personal life, I would have to say it's my family, it's my friends, and it's the relationships that I've built with my family and my friends over the years. There's, there's no value that I can put on that. I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, when we, when we value things, it's very easy to value the, the items that um, most people would value out there. But you know, relationships and uh, people, you can't put a price on that. But Judge, being a trailblazer must have been difficult. So how have you balanced your personal and your professional life? How do you ensure your um, emotional, mental, spiritual well-being? Because, you know, you come across as, as a very spiritual person. So how do you balance that? Siva, nothing of value and nothing that's worth it is easy in life. If you think anything is easy, then it's not worth it. So to answer your question directly, I don't think we ever achieve that perfect work-life balance. I love this movie, it's called Something's Gotta Give. And I've always in my life had that experience where something's gotta give. And I think you have to have the wisdom at that time to make the decision as to what has got to give. To advance a certain avenue, there might be restrictions on another. From my experience, being a woman, black woman, being a mother, a judge is not easy. And it's only with the support of my family, of my friends, of my colleagues, of people who have taken me under their wing, literally along the way, that I have been able to achieve. There's a Zulu saying, it says, Umuntu, Ngubuntu, Ngabantu. People are people because of people. I am Leona Theron justice of the constitutional court today because of so many people so many people on whose backs i have stood along the way and because of that i stand tall when i did my first acting stint in the eastern cape i was a new mother and my mother accompanied me to the eastern cape with my baby my mother took care of the baby sarah in a, sorry, it was Amy, in a, in a, in a nearby <laughs> hotel. The girls are never going to forgive you for that, Judge. <laughs> no, no, they always say, they always say, Mom, don't you know us? Because you start with Sarah, then you go to Sam, then you say, okay, no, it's Amy I want. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to give. Sometimes the name <laughs> I always say to them, just give me time and I'll remember you. <laughs> <laughs> and... During the, the lunch adjournment, I would leave the hearing and go to the hotel, breastfeed, and go back to the hearing. It's, it's adjustments that we have to make. As I progressed in my career, I've gained a measure of control over my time. Um, my family is very important to me. My family, my friends, they, 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 they serve as a grounding force. Their support, um, has been enormous and has added to my emotional well-being. Those who know me will know I like to cook, I like to bake, and I love hiking. I celebrated my 50th birthday by summiting Mount Kilimanjaro, and my childhood love of music continues 
um, I play the piano. I used to write more poetry than I write now and listen to a lot of music. And um, as Siva mentioned, my faith is a great source of strength to me. And I value the community and fellowship of my church and the people up to today. And they, they, they continue to support me, to inspire me, to nurture me and to nurture my soul when that's necessary. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for that. I think you remind me of um, when you say you had to slip out to go and breastfeed your, your daughter. Like when my child was a baby, I was working for a national department and I traveled around the country with her when I was breastfeeding. And it was just lovely that people would take her when I had workshops and carry her around and I would slip out to breastfeed. And it's just all of the adjustments that... Um, that women have to make um, when we want to balance, we want to have children, we want to have a career. Um, Teresa, so, yes. before you ask the next question, please can I tell a little anecdote about, just on that? Sure. Oh yes, please. I was, I was, I was um, involved in a hearing in East London and fortunately the kids were, were, were quite small that time so we didn't have the constraints of school. So my husband and I and the kids drove to East London um, and they had a bit of a holiday while I was working and the, the, the hearings were conducted in the town hall and the, 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 the bench, so to speak, was right in the front and there was this passage in the middle with the seats on the left and on the right. Um, we were finishing a witness. My husband was picking me up at one o'clock, um, also now to go and do the breastfeeding duties and we were finishing with a witness and we thought we'd just, you know, go a little extra um, so that the witness didn't have to come back after lunch. And um, our eldest son, Dimitri, was about five or six. Shorts, they had just come from the beach, shorts and a t-shirt, no shoes. He walks in from the back from the, from the from the back of the room to the front. He walks down the aisle. He's got a bunch of grapes in his hands. He's Mommy, 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 daddy said you must come. You must come and feed Sarah. Sarah's hungry now. Come, she's crying. <laughs> and he walks. <laughs> At that stage, we said, well, we think that's an appropriate time to take the long adjournment. It's <laughs> hilarious. I think, yes. Um, yes, I've had some similar, not being a judge, but just my children showing up and asking questions at times when I'm working. Um, but just thinking through and, and reflecting back, um, can you share with us, you did share with us, um, I think, a tremendous um, uh, highlight of your career being the youngest woman appointed to the bench in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, can you reflect back and maybe just tell us a few more of the of the real highlights of your professional career? And I'll just combine it with the next question as well. If you could also speak to some of the, the challenges you faced, because sometimes we think that, as you said, there's no easy road that we take in this life when we're trying to achieve our goals. So can you also share some of the challenges um, that you've also faced, particularly as a woman in the legal profession? Perhaps, Teresa, if you don't mind, I think I'll start with the challenges first. Um, <laughs> I was appointed to the KwaZulu-Natal bench about five years after the first democratic elections our country was going through. And one of the areas that required transformation was the bench. I was the first black woman to be appointed to the bench before I even officially took up my appointment. 
I read in the newspaper some of the remarks that members of the judiciary had made about the new appointments. And a senior member of the judiciary in KwaZulu-Natal had told a reporter, and this was published in the Sunday paper, at least she has potential. I knew when I was appointed at that young age, I would face difficulties. I knew that I didn't have the commercial experience that some of my senior colleagues had had. I was half the age of most of the judges on the bench at the time. I was black. I was a woman. Those were all combined to make the, my first few years on the bench quite difficult. But Teresa, I, some of the advice I always give to people is the worst position you can be in is when you don't know what you don't know. I knew what I didn't know. And I worked twice as hard to learn what I didn't know. I knew that I wasn't fully accepted on the bench. I worked twice as hard to prove my critics wrong. And it's about hard work, it's about logic, and it's about knowing your capacity, your limitations, and knowing what is expected of you. I can proudly say, more than 20 years later, I overcame all those challenges. And I want to say, you can overcome your challenges too. You have to set your mind to it, make a plan. You have to know what you don't know. If you don't know what you don't know, then it's very hard. Initially, I felt like my voice was not being heard. Then I learned how to make my voice be, to be heard. And that was through my judgments. And my judgments will always be there. They are there for anyone to go and look at. And I speak through my judgments. A little, another little anecdote. Well, not, 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 not quite, but when I was appointed as a judge, there were no washroom facilities for women judges. The washrooms were opposite, opposite each other. The one side, there was a washroom with the picture of a man and it says judges. The other side, it's a picture of a woman and it says secretaries. I always wondered what would have happened if I'd gone into the judges' washroom. <laughs> and Teresa, <laughs> the criticism didn't stop immediately. I recall when I was first nominated for elevation, and I had to go again to the Judicial Services Commission for interview. There was still criticism that I was not experienced enough. I was, I, I had not um, presided in sufficient complex matters to warrant elevation, even though my judgments, as I said, spoke against all of that. Now, let me get to the second question, the highlights. I'd like to mention two. The first occurred when I had been invited to act at the Supreme Court of Appeal. And it's a minority judgment that I gave in a rape matter. It was appeal against the sentence of life imprisonment. The um, accused had been convicted of rape. The facts were particularly upsetting in that matter. The victim had been sitting in a bar waiting for her friend. The accused, who she did not know, accosted her when she tried to leave the bar, then forced her upstairs into his hotel room 
and he raped her. He then locked her in the room and left the room. She was so desperate to escape that when he left, she jumped out of the window on the second floor. Unfortunately, she jumped right into the circle where he was. He took her, he took her back to the room mm. and raped her again more than once. And to make sure she didn't leave, he took her clothes and hid her clothes. At some stage, she got the opportunity to go and she ran naked down the street to the closest police station. The court which first heard the matter imposed life imprisonment, which was the minimum sentence. On appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeal, that's where I was acting at the time, the majority of the judges found that there were compelling reasons to reduce the sentence, to alter the sentence of life imprisonment, and if I recall correctly, to reduce it to 16 years. I could not agree with that. And despite being the youngest judge then also at the Supreme Court of Appeal, not being a permanent judge at that, appeal, at that court, and just been invited to act for a session, I wrote a dissenting judgment. I could not stand by and agree to that. To my mind, the facts were horrific, and it was exactly the type of matter where Parliament had said we must impose a minimum sentence. I'm proud of that decision, not only because it demonstrates my commitment to a South Africa where women do not have to be afraid to be alone in public or in a bar anywhere, but because I had little hesitation in dissenting. And this is my belief that we should always stand up for what we believe to be right. We shouldn't be silent, even if we are the only one. And often it's not easy to stand up, especially when you're in the minority, but it is always worthwhile. And I think if you are a person of integrity, it's necessary. The second judgment that I'm also particularly proud of, and I would say is a highlight, is the Gumedo matter. And that was when I was still a judge in KZN. The applicant, Mrs. Gumede, she had entered into a customary law marriage with her husband. The marriage lasted about 40 years. During those 40 years, her husband had not allowed her to work outside of their home. She was a cook, she was a cleaner, she was the primary caregiver to the children. And then he decided to divorce her. In terms of the customary, relevant customary laws at the time, her husband automatically became the sole owner of the property that the couple had acquired during the course of their marriage, including anything that Mrs. Komede had bought. Mrs. Komede approached the High Court and she wanted us to declare certain parts of the Code of Zulu Law unconstitutional. I duly obliged. It was clear that there was discrimination because only African women had to deal with this. This decision had a meaningful impact on Mrs. Gomedia's life, as well as the lives of other women like her and in her position. This decision recognizes that the assumption that women are unfit to manage assets and to hold property was an antiquated one that was out of step with international developments and had no place 
in our constitutional order. And when the constitutional court affirmed that decision, that was also a very proud moment for me. I must lastly add that it goes without saying that my appointment to the constitutional court was more than a highlight for me. It was really a landmark moment in my career. I am honored and I'm privileged to be able to serve the country as one of the judges of the Constitutional Court. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, those important lessons for us all. Um, and I hate to um, sound like a cliche, but it was truly inspirational. Um, thank you for sharing that. Both the dissent that you've just spoken of and that cardinal judgment on indigenous customary law takes an enormous amount of courage. And just speaking about courage, when you reflect on the courage and the strength of the women of 1956, how are you personally inspired to continue their legacy? Siva, the best way I can answer your question is to do an adaptation of a poem by Maya Angelou, and it's my adaptation. I rise from a past that's rooted in poverty. I rise from a past where domestic violence is rife. I rise from a past where I witness people being killed or seriously injured during weekend brawls. I rise from a past where my mother would fervently pray that it was not her son involved in that brawl. Arise from a past with the cries of women being beaten will haunt me forever. Arise from a past where police officers would raid our home. Arise from a past where my grandmother would be afraid to speak her mother tongue of Zulu, lest she lose her home or be separated from her brown children. I rise from a past where my father was locked up on his way from work on a Friday night and spent the entire weekend in a police cell because the work tools he was carrying was considered to be a dangerous weapon by a white policeman. I rise from a past where teenage pregnancy is the norm. I rise from a past where I was considered a lesser human being. I rise from a past where I was mocked for being a woman in a man's world. I rise from a past where judges try to humiliate me in court, but still I rise. And you know what, Siva? Still, I will rise. Like dust, I rise and I rise and I continue to rise. You are a poet. In addition to a judge, you are a poet. You've got to own that. And um, that's really, really powerful. Um, it, speaks, it speaks a great deal. I think therein lies the advice that you perhaps have for the women of South Africa and how they should make a difference. So in, in a one-liner, what would be the sum total of that poem for the women of South Africa and how they can potentially make a difference to both themselves and the country? Make sure you rise. Make sure your star shines. Make sure your light shines. Get out of the darkness. You can and you will. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Wow. That's absolutely um, beautiful. And you are. <laughs> you, you are indeed a poet. So you've got so many talents. Um, 
And um, so thank you, really thank you for sharing that with us. And just um, building on that, and we also, there are questions, a few questions. One question um, is regarding mentoring and your um, views on mentoring. And it links to it's the importance of women, women lifting each other up. And what does it mean to you? And where do you see mentoring as a part of that um, lifting up, particularly young women who are coming up through, through the legal practice? I think it's important for all of us, men and women, to lift each other up. But today, I will focus on women. We as women, we stand tall today because of those women who have gone before us including the 20,000 women who marched to Pretoria in 1956. I think it's crucial that we lift each other up. As I said before, I am where I am because people assisted me, lifted me up and mentored me. Last year, I gave a talk at a law firm and they had set up huge banners all around the room with my face on the banners. As I started my talk, I noticed the banners and I said, you know, it was quite unnerving to see my face and my reflection looking back at me as I was speaking. When I finished my talk, a first year candidate attorney stood up in the room to thank me. She noted how important it was to her as a young woman and as a brown person to see my face on the banners around the room. She said, when we see you, we also see ourselves. Lifting other women up to me means making time to share my own experiences, my own insights, in the hope that it will encourage them and to assist them. It also means being alive to and recognizing the potential in people who are coming up just as others recognized my potential. So I take the criticism that the judge gave to the newspaper reporter about at least I had potential and I'm turning it into a positive. I say he recognized my potential and my potential grew. So look for the potential in others and look for ways to support and develop their potential. And I try to do that, Teresa. Yes. And thank you. Thanks so much for that. And I think it's so important for everyone to hear that as we move through our journey to not just look forward, but also remember to look back, reach back and pull others forward along with you. So we don't do it alone. No one can do it alone. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you for those words. Um, and, and linked to that, I think as we, we move through our careers and, um, and we try and mentor um, on young women, um, what qualities and what advice do you give young women who are growing in, in their profession um, about what qualities do they need to work on to become great leaders and great lawyers um, in today's world? What do you think are the most important qualities? Teresa, many people think you gain power simply by telling other people what to do. That's not leadership in the true sense. We've all been in a position where somebody has authority over us. Um, maybe our superior or manager at work, a teacher or a parent. 
I think what distinguishes a person with power and a person who is a great leader is that a leader leads others, not through coercion or simply because they're the boss, but they lead by drawing people in and holding up a mirror to them that shows them what previously might have been impossible. A leader encourages and inspires. I think a great leader must be humble, self-aware, genuinely interested in others and focused on the long-term development of the people they are leading. A great leader is committed to ethics. It may be sustainable in the short run to cut corners in order to achieve a goal, but you cannot build a sustainable coalition of people and retain moral authority if you compromise your ethics when it suits you. We also measure leadership sometimes according to what a leader is able to achieve. In my view, a leader must develop and hold on to a vision for what they want to achieve. Great leaders have their eye on a big picture. And that vision is necessary if you're going to be able to weather adversity and keep people you are leading inspired and focused. Comes to being a great lawyer, it goes without saying. Firstly, you must be technically competent. Lawyers are there to serve. They're there to serve their clients. A truly great lawyer does not only the best possible work for their client, they also have humility to take time to listen to the client and to ensure that the client is an active participant in the legal system and they understand what they're doing. A very important aspect for me, being a great lawyer, is adhering to the highest standards of ethics, being credible and honest in all you do. Traditionally, leadership is seen as the domain of people who are visible in the public sphere, politicians, church leaders, and so on. When we look for illustrations of great leadership, we think of great figures in history, like Helen Joseph, Victoria Ntengir, Rosa Parks. There's no doubt that they, that they were and are great leaders, but I think we can look in our families, we can look in our work environment, we can look in our communities, and we can see great leaders in our communities. We can see leaders among us. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, there's a, there are a few questions, um, um, Justice, on um, the issue of violence against women um, in South Africa. Um, for for example, um, what can we as women in law do to change the plight of women to enable us to love, work, and live safely um, to our full extent and potential? Do you think um, that we should bring back the death penalty for 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 rape cases and associated crimes? Um, and do you believe that it is a, a viable and effective solution? to curb the, um, the scourge of, of rape and, and femicide in South Africa? What can we as women do as lawyers? As I've said, Teresa, in my previous response, 
I think we can try to educate our nation. We can try to empower our women to try and make them safer. Regarding the death penalty, um, that is at the end of the day, a political question, which I would prefer not to answer, Teresa. What I can say though, is that if you look at countries around the world where then studies have shown that the death penalty is not a sufficient deterrent. Thank you. What is your message to those who are often disillusioned by crime and feel that the wheels of justice simply turn too slowly or we often don't see justice? How would you respond and, and what should the response be on, on, on the notion that there's a lack of access to justice in South Africa? Is it a correct reflection? So I would say for some people it might be a correct reflection. It's not the reflection we would want to give out. I think those of us who are in justice would like justice to serve everybody. If in a particular instance, anyone feels that justice has not been served, I would encourage them to take their case forward, to find the avenues where they can get appropriate redress. And once again, this is not easy. As I said, Silver, anything that's worthwhile is not easy. So if you want to get justice, sometimes it has to be a fight. Don't give up. Many of us just think about if we get bad service or we have a complaint. Sometimes it's just too difficult to take that complaint forward. It's much easier to forget about it. So I'm saying there are people in that position. Don't give up. Fight for your justice. Sometimes we have to fight for it. It, sh it shouldn't be that way, but the reality is sometimes we have to, and we shouldn't give up ever in seeking justice. Thank you. Siva, I don't know if you have more questions. Oh, there, there, there are a ton more questions. Um, we've kind of run out of time. So Justice, what can I say? It's been an amazing hour with you. We've been completely inspired. I know that you've left me with, with, with a great deal of inspiration and food for thought. Um, but I'm gonna leave it to Teresa to formally thank you. Yes, just thank you so much for, for taking the time out and sharing your inspiring stories of courage and strength. We all strive to be um, as women leaders in, in, in the legal profession, to be ethical, to be um, caring, to be empathetic. Um, uh, but sometimes we, we fail, um, and that's not something to be embarrassed about. Um, we're all human and we all make mistakes. So we can all kind of lean on your story um, to keep us going and to keep, a, keep ourselves motivated um, and, um, and inspired. So thank you so much. Um, and I'm sure we'll one day be able to shape this country into this society and into one in which we can all be proud and as women, we can all be safe. Um, so thank you. Teresa, thank you very much. Thank you to probona.org and to LegalWise for inviting me on this platform and to share my story and know that if I can achieve my dreams, a little brown girl who used to play bare feet in the dusty streets of Wentworth and who has risen above that dust to climb Kilimanjaro, to be at the highest court of the land in South Africa, 
I would say to everyone, decide what is your Kilimanjaro. Decide upon your mountain that you need to summit. It could be completing a degree, furthering your studies, starting your business. Set a plan to achieve just that. And with hard work, with vision and support, you can achieve it. Thank you once again. Thank you. Um, so my question to all of you out there is to ask, what is your story of courage and strength? How will you find ways of narrating your stories and making your voices heard? Thank you for joining us today. And I will now hand back to Jyothika. Justice Theron, it is such an honor for you to have shared your story with us. By sharing your story through Our Stories Matter, you have surely inspired, motivated, and encouraged us. Thank you for your time and have a wonderful day further. And that's goodbye from me as well. Goodbye.